Hello, and thank you for connecting with us here at Oasis Online. If this ministry is an encouragement to you, I would love to hear from you. Would you send me an email at pastor at obclv.org? I hope you enjoy the service today and that God would speak directly to your heart. And out of a little, little town of Hartville, Ohio, God uh, tugged on my heart uh, for Las Vegas. And so for whatever reason that is, um, He has me here and we love being here. But I love the local church, and so um, when I've had these recent opportunities to travel with um, some pastor friends of mine, uh, it's not, uh, I wish I could say that it's, it's great to go and have a good vacation, and uh, to enjoy different parts of the world, and to be in those areas. Um, it is neat to be able to see that, but the greatest encouragement to me is to be able to go and encourage uh, local pastors. Um, that are doing the work of the ministry, the same thing that we're doing here. They're doing it there in their communities and their cultures. And so uh, I thank you as a body for allowing me, really, on your behalf. Um, that is our church going there. And so this last week we were able to uh, to teach and to, to share God's Word and the truths of God's Word through discipleship and different things, giving them some things that they can use for their people um, that really... Uh, broadens all spectrums it's not just a cultural thing God's word proclaims us to make disciples of all men and that's whether you're in Brazil and Colombia or if you're in the United States of America uh, or in Egypt where I was last year regardless of where that is um, we are we are we are called we are commanded to make disciples and so um, uh, those principles happen wherever we are regardless of culture and so it's awesome to be able to do so and I thank you for allowing me to do those things. Uh, last week, uh, Dan spoke, and uh, appreciate him and his willingness to be here and to to join in. I don't know you. You may not have. You've not gotten to know Dan and his wife Rachel too much. They've been with us now, I guess, August since August. So however many months that is, a couple months now. Um, and so hopefully you will uh, show their your appreciation for them. Uh, by getting to know them as they attempt to get to know all of you. But it's been a blessing for me to be able to leave and, and to know that the pulpit is being filled and that things are taking place. And so I appreciate Dan and Rachel and uh, their willingness to step in and really just jump into ministry here uh, at Oasis. But we finished our series entitled Antisocial. Uh, in a social media world last week, and uh, I pray that it was an encouragement to you just a short couple weeks, and the thought again was that we would uh, begin to look at our lives as intentional in everything that we do, uh, and so I pray that that, that was, was the case. Next week we're going to kick off a series uh, that we are entitling A Balanced Life, and uh, so what we're looking at over the next several weeks is, is this thought. If there's one thing, I guess I would really say I've noticed it over the last year more so than ever before, and it's not that it wasn't the case several years ago, but maybe it's just me, and uh, as I'm growing, I'm hearing different things, I'm seeing different things, but one of the phrases that I have heard more in the last year of my life than probably I would ever desire to hear is this phrase, I am just so busy. I hear that phrase over and over and over and over. And listen, all of us are busy. We all run busy lives. You go to work, it's busy. You come home, if you have children, it's busy. If you're retired, I hear retired people saying that they're busy. 
Regardless of what it is, of your age or your stage in life, I hear it all the time. I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. And so one of the things that I have really just, okay, God, how can we, how can we help the busy, chaotic lives that we live? And so next week, we're going to start in on a series called A Balanced Life. We're going to look at, uh, really, foundationally, God first. Uh, is God is the foundation, then other things build around that. But we're going to look at the, uh, God. We're going to look at the church. Where does the church fit into your busy schedule? Uh, where does work fit into that? How does finances, how, how do we manage our finances in the midst of, of all of these things? And so we're going to look at several different things, but a balanced life will start that next week. There's one thing that everybody in this room has that is equal. We all have 24 hours a day. Regardless of what you do for a living, regardless if you make a million dollars or you make a dollar, you have 24 hours that you have and that I have. It's all the same. The issue outside of that is what do I do with 24 hours? And so next week we're going to begin a series entitled Balanced Life and we're going to look at some of those things as to to how we can lead a balanced life uh, as opposed to just utter chaos. You know, You can control the time in your day. So can I. And oftentimes I get to the end of my day and I'm like, what did I even do? And uh, that's just a matter of me controlling my time and allowing things and not allowing things because of what's prioritized in my life. And so uh, we'll start that next week and I hope that you'll be here and we'll have some fun with that as well. But today I'm going to speak really more than anything. I'm going to share a little bit from my heart uh, there's been several things. If I were to go back about two months or so, I guess it was, I went to a pastor's conference. Mindy and I went into California for several days and, uh, we sat under some teaching of a pastor and some other things and we, we did. And there was a thought that came to my mind at that time. And then as I went on this trip to Columbia, it just was reiterated in everything that I was doing there. It just, I felt like it just kept coming up over and over and over. And the thought was this. Why does one lose or why does one have a lack of passion for Christ? Why would we lose our passion or why would we say we're a believer in Christ but yet have a lack of passion? And here was a statement that really just jumped off the page of me or the teaching as I got uh, several months back. But it said this, we so often allow the things that are precious to become familiar. We often allow the things that are precious to become familiar. And then I added kind of this thought. And when we do that we lose passion. That which was precious is no longer precious. I feel that the things of Christ. At least I can speak for me in my life. So many times in my life. The things of Christ have become just familiar. I get caught up in my regular day. I get caught up in the regular things that I'm doing. I get caught up in in all of those things. And not all of them. I'm not saying that these are bad things. But I get caught up in so many, maybe we would say, the mundane things of life. For me, maybe it's study. Maybe it's counseling. Maybe it's just planning events. Maybe it's doing things around the church. And it becomes almost mundane. It becomes regular. It becomes familiar. The passion oftentimes can get swayed because it just becomes something that I just do. And here's what that looks like for me, and maybe it looks the same for you, but I become comfortable. 
I become comfortable. I would say this, any time that we become too comfortable in anything, it's a dangerous thing. Whether that's at your job, whether that's with your family, whether that's at church, whether that's wherever it is. If we get to a place where we're just, eh, I'm so complacent, I'm just comfortable, it becomes a dangerous thing. Because if it's at work, you're just comfortable. I go to work, I do my job. I go to work, I do my job. And I, I, I say hello to the boss or I do the things that I'm doing. I'm not doing anything bad, but I'm just comfortable in my job. There is no, there's no rhyme or reason. There's no drive. There's no any of those things. I'm just there. I get comfortable. I get complacent. And in our comfort, in our complacentness, if that's a word, we let things slide through the fingers. We just kind of lose the sight of certain things. And in our comfort, it's not necessarily a good thing. For me, I just, sometimes I just get too familiar with things. I get too settled in. Tonight we're going to have church. Awana is going to take place. We're going to have a Bible study. The teens are going to meet. Wednesday night, I'm going to have small groups. Next Sunday morning, there's going to be a Bible study at 9.30. We're going to have church at 10.30. We're going to have a wana. We're going to have teens, and we're going to have a Bible study. And Wednesday night, I'm going to have small groups again. And it's just the same comfort over and over and over. I've said this a million times. This is all that I know. Church is all that I know. There is no question in my life on Sunday morning, where I'm going to be. If I take a trip to California and I have vacation, my family is in church. Because to me, that's important. But some of that, at the same time, it's just my normal routine. It's comfort. And there's different times where even being in church just becomes what? It's just comfortable. I've checked my mind at the door. I've checked it off the box. And this morning, I'm going to look at a passage in 2 Corinthians, and we're going to look at some thoughts of of what Paul was writing and how Paul was battling. Really, Paul at this time, he was writing to a group of believers, but he was battling with a group of people over his reputation. They were doing all that they could to destroy him as a person. The false teachers were coming in and they were, they were speaking poorly of Paul. They were destroying him and their thought was this, is if we could destroy the teacher, we can destroy his reputation, we can destroy all of those things, then the things that he was teaching really would be null and void. Because if I can't stand behind what he is te- or who he is as a person, I certainly can't take what he's teaching. And so they began to destroy, attempted to destroy that. You know, for me, every time I travel, I come home and I recognize the great comfort that I have in America. I recognize so many different things and I travel and I've seen a lot of different portions of the world and I've seen filth and I've seen uh, just utter disgusting living. Some of you, maybe you you travel for different reasons. Maybe you've been in the military, whatever it would be, and you've traveled and you've seen pockets of the world and you're like, man, people live like that. And I'll be real honest, as I come back this week, there was a couple things that did not jump out at me on this trip. It was not the desolate living. 
The things that jumped out at me, the things that God reached in and God kind of tugged on my heart had nothing to do with poverty this time. It had nothing to do with the homes that many of us or most of us in this room would have tore down that we wouldn't even put our car in. Those weren't the things, honestly, that grabbed a hold of my heart and that grabbed a hold of my mind while I was there. What grabbed a hold of me this time was how absolutely comfortable that I've become in my Christian life. See, as I sat and I had the opportunity to sit across from a gentleman, his name was Marcos. Marcos is a pastor. He's a what they would call an indigenous pastor, basically like, kind of like what we would have as a Native American that would live in a tribal area. He was an indigenous pastor in Brazil amongst a jungle group of people. And Marcos lived in, in this specific area And every day, this is what Marcos would do. Every day, Marcos would get in the boat. He would drive. He would, he would drive. He would take the boat up the Amazon River and he would stop at the next village. He would get out and he would go to that village and he would begin to preach the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And he would teach and he would preach and he would pray and he would do that every single day. And then he would get back in the boat and he would go back to his village and love on his people. And then he would get in the boat and he would go up to another village along the river. And he would begin to preach and to teach the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And every day he would go to different villages and those people would know that Marcos was coming. As I spoke to him and as I listened to him speak about prayer and as he was listening to him speak of these different things, I kept thinking to myself, wow, I don't get it. See, for you and I, it would be a struggle to come to church. Shoot, these two rows, that's a large church where he was. We measure everything by how large is a church. Hey, my name's Aaron Flanagan. How are you doing? Great, great, great. What do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh, how large is your church? Those are the questions that I get. So, so how many people do you run? That's how we judge everything in America. It's how big that it is, right? As I sat and I talked to Marcos, here was what gripped me and I have no idea how much of this sermon I'm going to get through I'm just going to let you know but as I sat and I talked to Marcos and really it wasn't just me it was a group of us I had just finished up teaching on prayer and when I'm teaching on prayer I'm talking in this discipleship material it's like basic very baseline prayer some of these people they don't understand the concept and there's different things of that so we it's very very baseline and so I'm, I'm speaking and I'm telling them, okay, what is prayer? It's communication with God and kind of going through all of these different things. And there's an avenue of prayer where we may seek God and ask God to, to provide our needs. Or we may seek God and ask God to provide some kind of a, you know, like we did this morning. There's Gary is not feeling well and there's health issues. And we pray, God, would you heal his body? And we go through all these different things and we get finished and we have always have a Q&A if there's anything that we can respond to. And, and, and as we're talking, Marcos begins to speak. And he began to say a few things, and then he said this. He said this. I've learned as I pray, God has already told me that He will provide every need that I have. He goes, there's been days where I've went without food, and my family has gone without food. There's been times where I've gone without the physical necessities that we would call food. 
he says, but I've learned this. I don't ask God for the things that I need and want. I ask God that he would give me wisdom and that God would give me knowledge that I could lead and love the people that he has put in front of me and that I would reach those that are around me for the gospel message of Jesus Christ. At that point, I wanted to sit in his chair and say, Marcos, if you could go up and teach us how to pray, that would be awesome. Because here's the reality. Most of our prayer time is spent around God. Johnny has a stuffy nose. Such and such broke their leg. I need more food on my table. God, could you provide the bills that I have? God, here's all the things that we want and here's all the things that we need. Marcos just threw out the one thing. I pray that God would give me wisdom and understanding, knowledge. I'm like, that's awesome. And after he sat and he talked for several minutes, he said this. And if anything jumped out just as much as that, he said this. And this is where I almost got angry is probably not the right word, but I almost felt angry. Not about anything, but just with me. And he said this. As I share God's word and I share the gospel message with all of the people that I have the opportunity to share with, I remind them and I tell them, being a Christian is not easy. Being a Christian is not easy. I sat and I listened. My stomach was turning. My mind was just racing. And we got back to the room later on, I would say, maybe within the next 45 minutes of that conversation. And I'm sitting there and one of the guys I was with, his name was John. And we were we were talking and he said, so so what did you guys think of any of that? And I just said this. I said, you guys tell me, is it hard to be a Christian? And if I were to ask you this morning, is it hard to be a Christian? I could already tell you what your answer is going to be. I already know it. Because we all say the same thing. We would say, well, yeah, God doesn't promise this. And God says that there will be persecution. And God says this. And so, so yeah, and I, I stopped John in mid, mid-sentence. And I said, no, is it hard for you to be a Christian? I said, because here's the answer. No, it's not. That was my bold statement of the whole week, if you would. Because in the midst of our conversation, and for me, just being really honest, it is not difficult to be a Christian in the United States of America. Period. You carry your Bible anywhere you want. You sing the praises of Jesus anywhere you want. You blare the Christian music in your home anytime that you want. We come to a church. Lord, if, if they had one building the size of this church and their whole entire community, it would change their whole lives. We do all of these things and we have these conversations. And I said this, it's not difficult to be a Christian in the United States of America. The greatest persecution we might have is somebody might make fun of you for carrying a Bible. You believe in that? Now, in our conversation, I had to say this because this is the reality. I can't can't help the fact that God allowed me to be born in the United States of America. 
It's a blessing that we live where we live. It's an honor to live in these United States of America. Man, we could argue, we can argue about politics. We can do all of those things. I'll just let, go into a third world country, sit under their political system for five minutes, and you'll go, thank you, Jesus, for the United States of America. As a mess as our politics are, when I'm listening and I'm talking to the guy that I sat with who runs a donut company, and the lady that owns the donut company is friends with the, the, the mayor of the city and will come in and be like, you know what? This month it's going to be $750. Well, wait a second. Our contract says 500 Yeah, but it doesn't matter because this is what we need this month. That's crooked. That's a problem. We don't have that issue. We go through all of these things. And so as I was there... For me personally, the thought of, is it hard to be a Christian, ripped me. The thought of this man saying, I pray that God would provide, give me wisdom and knowledge. I'll be real honest, I would put that man up against any pastor that I've ever met or ever read or ever done anything with in the United States of America who's running a church of 20,000 people. Because he leads the 10 to 15, the 20, with more faith than probably any person I have ever sat down and talked to. I was blown away. Blown away. And so this morning, the thought this morning, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is where we'll be. Paul is writing, I think I started this about 10 minutes ago. Paul was writing to these believers and he was reminding them, he was letting them know, he was really, he was defending his reputation. He was kind of defending his reputation because they were so, they were so trying to destroy who he was as a person. And this morning the thought is this, a maintained passion. A maintained passion. And here's the question that I want to be answered, that I would like to answer this morning. The question is this, what must I do to have a maintained passion for the Lord? What must I do to have a maintained passion for the Lord? If you would go with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 11 is where we'll start. We'll go to verse 17. I'll do my best to get through every point that I have. Um, But I talked a little bit about the trip that I wasn't intending to do. So... uh, We'll get there. Verse number 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. And I trust also, sorry, I was thinking I was in the wrong spot. I trust also are made manifest in your consciousness. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to the glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we... 
Uh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Father God, this morning I just ask, Lord, not the, the heart-wrenching stories of going overseas, but Father, truly, that your word would be a, uh, such that would pierce the hearts of those of us that sit here this morning. Lord, as you have tugged on my heart for the last several days, God, I pray that uh, it would be brought forth in such a manner that we could take it, that we could apply it to our lives. And God, that you would be uh, all that we need in our lives for us. God, we already know that you've given all. We already know that you desire for us to live a life that is uh, honoring to you. But God, I pray this morning that we would be more challenged and more encouraged to do just that through your word. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. My first thought is this. Know the fear of the Lord. Know the fear of the Lord. It says in verse 11, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, or the the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. As we look at this thought of having a continued, maintained passion, it comes from understanding, or from an understanding of the of the Lord that that fear doesn't. It, oftentimes, people say this: Are you afraid of your parents? Or you know, here's what a negative fear would be: uh, something that would cause us to have discomfort, something that would give us an uneasiness, a wrestling, a, a, a things that when I, when I'm fearful. I was fearful on the very last night of my trip in Colombia. We rented scooter bikes. I didn't even tell my wife this. We rented scooter bikes. We drove a little bit of all around the town. We went outside of the town and it was beginning to get dark. And just like anywhere that you go in any town, in any city, there's an area of town that you're like, yeah, I don't go there at nighttime, right? North Las Vegas, right behind the stratosphere. There's a lot of places off the strip that you don't go in the evening. Well, we found ourselves in a place that I felt like I should not be there in the evening. And the guy that we're with, his name was Sam. He's like, yeah, we can go there. It's like, it was like a, 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 it was a bridge. We can go over that bridge, but you can only go so far and then you have to stop. And I'm like, all right, I've already gone too far, right? I've already went too far. We're already standing at the line. And if I take a step, I've crossed it. That's how I felt. That was fear. There was uneasiness in my body. We walked, I don't know, maybe 75 yards. And every time I'm walking, and I'm like, I see a person walking on the bridge. I see the, And I knew everybody. I knew the guy in front of me. There was a guy behind me. I knew where I was. I was watching. I was trying to think, okay, where can I go? For one, if I jumped, I'm falling. I'm dead. Because it was a bridge, and it was a good job. I'm thinking, and I told the guys, I said, and somebody said something. And I said, well, here's the deal. I guarantee you I'm faster than both of you, and I'm out of here period. They were talking about a fight. And I'm like, there ain't no fight. I'm running. Y'all fight all that you want. I'm running. I stayed in the back. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. So we're walking. I just felt uneasy. I felt completely uneasy. Here's why. There was no lights. There were no, like we have street lights everywhere. So pretty much even in the bad sections of town, there's lights. There were no lights. I was uneasy. Because when I looked out, I'm like, is that a house? There's people living in that house. Well, they had no electricity. And it was a little shack. And my stomach is going, and I'm like, hey, what's that point that you said where we need to turn around? Oh, well, we can go. 
I'm like, what well, sounds like a good spot right now to turn around? Ah, we're okay. And I'm just, I'm uneasy. When it comes to this fear of the Lord, it's not that I'm uneasy. I may become uneasy because I'm in awe of how amazing my God is. And my, I may wrestle with myself because I, I, I recognize sin. I recognize His perfection and my lack of. I recognize the holiness of God and the lack of holiness that I have. And so in that, but this is what this is talking about, that we would come to a place, the terror of the Lord, that we would get to a place that, that we are living a life in such a manner that we are honoring God, that we have a fear of God, that we have a reverence of God, and that we would literally just bow to Him and we live our lives basically on our knees saying, God, I worship you. God, I honor you. God, thank you for who you are, for your amazing. God, all of those things that you can think of. It's an, it's an essence. I was never fearful of my parents, but I had a holy reverence for my parents and the paddle. Right? I knew at certain times I was going to have to face mom and dad. And that gave me a holy reverence when I was about to do something really, really dumb. It's not the same, but it's kind of that same similar reverence. You, you respect and honor your parents. Or you should. Paul was writing and he was saying that we must have, and he was, he was defending himself. I have a fear of God. I have an honor of God. And it says this, it goes further, the terror of the Lord. And it says what? That we would persuade men. When we have a fear of the Lord, we will not, we, we, we live our lives in such a manner that it would persuade men. And I'm not being a salesman in persuading. I'm not, I'm not selling you of anything, but my life is lived in such a manner that I recognize that I have a clear conscience before God. I have a clear conscience before man, and I'm going to live my life to the best of my ability, honoring and glorifying Him. And that when I live and when I walk in a room, there is a, there is a, there's something different about you. There's something different. I, I want to walk into a room and I want somebody to say, there's something a little bit different about that guy. Not because I'm just weird, but I want people to see that there's something different about that guy. He treats us different. He acts different. And that's what Paul is writing, that I would have such an honor, a reverence of God, that I would fear God, and that through that my life would be lived, that I would persuade men, that I would, that I would live in a manner that, that man would look and not be able to speak poorly of me. Why? Because my reputation precedes me. Why? Because I have an honor and a fear of the Lord, and that my conscience is true, and my conscience is pure before God. And when all of those things happen, we begin to keep on going through this. It says that when we have a, or we have a fear of the Lord, we will not not seek after the praise of men is what he says here. We are made manifest unto God and I trust also are manifest in your consciousness. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on the behalf that you may have somewhat to answer. As we look at those things, we look at all of these thoughts that we would face God, that we would face men, not seeking the glory of men, not seeking that of others, but that we would seek the praise of God. It says that in the latter of verse number 12. Which glory in the appearance and not in heart. See, if you were to go to that time frame of life, and really it takes place today, but if we were to go back to that time frame, and as we live our lives, as we go through these different stages of life, as we, we do all of these things, 
when I'm living just for me, I'm really worried what you think. Hey, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, those men, those people, man, they looked great. Man, they would even stand up and they would pray and they would speak with eloquence and they would do all of the things that, that, that man likes. But they had wicked hearts. When we begin to work to the point of the appeasement of man, we do all kinds of things that we would know is not according and not pleasing to God. So as we look at this first thought, I'm just kind of condensing some of this, but know the fear of the Lord. When we know the fear of the Lord, we, we act a certain way, we persuade, we, we, we live a life that's full of conscience, a clear conscience before God. And as we're doing those things, we're, we're living that life and we're also allowing God to move forward and move in us, not according to what man thinks, but according to, to who God is. What must... We do to maintain passion. We must fear the Lord. What does that look like? We have a clear conscience as we persuade others. We don't seek the praise of men, but God. And we are devoted to the truth of God's word. We are devoted to the truth of God's word in verse 13. For whether we be uh, beside ourselves, it is to God. Or whether we be sober, it is to your cause. As we look at those words, the, the word of sober is speaking of having a clear mind. It's speaking of some of these things. And it's really going back to look at the truth. That we would stand firm in the truths of who God is. They were trying to make Paul out to be a fool. Paul was standing firm on the word of God. Hey, if you want to quickly find out how much of a fool that people think you are, just begin to talk to people and speak the truths of God's word to them. People are blinded. God's word speaks of that. Those that do not know God are blinded. They don't understand the things of God. You will quickly find out how, what they would say, dumb you really are. Why? Because it's, it's anti-cultural. God's word is anti-cultural. Because the truths of God's word are not what we as men see pleasing to the eyes or any of those things. So the fear of God, the the next one is the love of Christ. The love of Christ, looking in verses 14 and 15, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. What is it that keeps us having a maintained passion for the Lord? It is knowing the love of Christ. This isn't that I would maintain and I would have a love of Christ, but that we would understand and recognize the love that Christ has for us. It's the love of Christ that constrains us. It's the love of Christ that constrains us. In Romans chapter 8, it says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall it be tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that what? Loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We love Him because He first loved us, is what it says in 1 John 4. I don't even have a love. Why? Because I can't love God in and of my sinful nature. We can't. But in Christ, the love that He gave for us, 
John 3.16, for God so loved the world, what did he do? He gave his only begotten son. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 19 says it this way, the love of God surpasses knowledge. I can't express to you the love of God. I can't. I would do everything I could to to show it. I would do everything I could to to attempt to tell you the love of God. But I can't fully express to you why. It surpasses knowledge. God's love controlled Paul. Control is this. Control is a pressure that produces an action. God's love controlled Paul. It says there in verse 14... That his love constraineth. What if I asked you this question? Does does God's love control you? Does God's love cause you to perform an action? A maintained passion is sustained by God's love. Now as we go through this, there's a great piece of depth in this. And I'm not going to go to all of the depths of it. But it says this. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him. There's a lot of depth in the thought of the one dying for all. But as we look at those thoughts in just a simple overview, Jesus desires that all would come to know him. Christ loves all of us. He has given us mercy. He's given us grace. Think of so many of the different things. People that don't know Him and people that know Him. He's provided mercy and grace. And as we go through these thoughts, He is a compassionate God. He is compassionate toward all and provides a way for all to recognize a Savior. This controlling love that moves us to action must be the action of righteousness. His love must compel us to a righteous Living. Christ died that we would live. And it says this. And that he died for all that they which live should not henceforth. What does that say? Live unto themselves. Listen, when God's word and when God's the love of God gets a hold of us, when it gets a hold of it, controls us, it compels us, it constrains us. When that happens, it's no longer about me. It'll, it moves it from, from me living a selfish life to me. Here's, here was the example that we put um, this last week, and I don't really have a bench. I'll grab this bench. This last week when we were in, in Columbia doing some teaching, we grabbed a chair and we placed it there, and we were teaching through the gospel message of Jesus Christ, and we, we had somebody sit there. And as we're sitting here, I am in the throne of my life. I am the king of my life. When I come to a place of knowing Jesus Christ as my Savior, here's what I am doing. I am getting up off of my throne and I'm saying, God, now you sit there. You are the Lord of my life. Now you are the King. You now sit in my throne. And when that happens, I live differently. My actions are no longer about me. They are about serving Him. And in serving Him, it's serving others. But that only happens when I step off the throne of my life. I'll promise you this, that's not easy either. Because I'm a very selfish individual. Just think of the selfishness. Just think of this. I love this passage and I love this thought. We love Him because He 
first loved us. Why do I even love God? Because He loved me. Ain't that kind of selfish? Just to stop and think about that. The only reason I love God is because He loved me first. It's in who we are. We have to get off the throne of our lives. And as I stop and as I look at this thought here, the love of Christ, it must constrain us. The love of Christ must do that. We must get off the throne of our lives. In Romans 6, in verse 4, Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Listen to this. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be uh, we shall be we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we also we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It says there at the very beginning, I read, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We died with Christ and we came back alive. He gave us a new life. He brought us to life. It is in that that we are no longer to live unto ourselves. We are no longer to live unto ourselves. Paul said it this way. I don't know that I could say what Paul said, but in Galatians 6 and verse 14, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. I'm sorry, that wasn't what I was... <laughs> that, I can say that. I can say that one. God forbid that I would boast or glory in anything but the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way I can do that is if I'm not living unto myself. If you and I are to maintain a passion for Christ, we must remember the love of Christ, which controls us into action, guiding us into righteous. And this last thought this morning in the last couple minutes is that that we would have a burden for the lost. As we continue and we wrap up this morning, this last thought is vital to Paul's defense for himself. And it is also vital for you and I to maintain a passion for Christ. Paul was burdened for the soul of man. Because he had a genuine fear And he had a genuine understanding of the love of the Lord, a reverence for who God is. Listen, if there's one thing that would keep us moving towards Christ, if there's one thing that would continue to give us a a maintained passion for Christ, and that is seeing others come to know Him. Listen, if we ever get tired, if seeing people come to the Lord becomes familiar, we have an issue. But if you don't share the gospel message of Jesus Christ, guess what? You eventually, the passion will go away. Because if I'm really loving, the things that I love, I speak of. The things that I love, I 
I have a tendency to act upon. When we get too familiar, we, we stop acting upon it. This is the one that I was speaking of. Romans 9, verse number 3, Paul said this, For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren. Hey, I don't know that I could say that. God, I have such a burden for the people of my church. I have such a burden for the lost of, of Las Vegas, of my community right around this area. God, I'm so burdened that God, if you would, if you would bring them to you, that I would even... That, you could accursed me, God, that you could take away the eternal life that I have in you so that the people that I love would come to you. And I'll be real honest, I'll raise my hand. I don't know that I've come to a place where I'd say, God, you know what, I'm so burdened that somebody would come to know Christ that you could take away my salvation. In essence, that's what he was saying, that he would be accursed from Christ. That the people that he loved would gain Christ. And I feel that I have a, a burden to see souls come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Man, I'll tell you this. I don't know that I'm at that point. But that's what Paul said. That's what Paul said. Paul's eyes were opened and his burden was changed forever. On the Damascus Road. Listen, let me just say this and I'm done. I've got so much. Let me just say this. We read scripture. And we say things like this. But Paul. Paul was walking on the Damascus Road. And the light came and it blinded him and he fell. And Paul had this experience. Well, of course he would have a drastic change in life. No, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. And this is just as much for me as it is for anybody. Paul's experience of coming to know Jesus Christ as his Savior was different than mine. But the understanding of who God is and what God did and the blood that was shed for Paul is no different than it is for me. And if I can ever get to a place where if I get to the place where I don't care that God's love does no longer control me, where all of these things are no longer about it, I've become too comfortable and it gets to a point, I said it several, several weeks ago or months ago, we just don't care. Because we've become so comfortable. The passion that we once had, we no longer have. I'm no longer burdened for the soul of man. I'm no longer in a place where, where I, I, I go to church. I do some reading. I have some prayer time. I do these things. But it just, eh, it just doesn't matter too much anymore. Because I've become so comfortable. I've lost that passion. It was in Revelation, he says that, they lost their first love. The church lost its first love. The question this morning, what must I do to have a maintained passion for the Lord? If I were to just recite that in a different way, I would ask you this. Do you understand and have a true fear of the Lord? Do you have an understanding of the love that Christ has for you in such a manner that your actions have changed. 
and that they've changed to a point that you have a burden for the men and women and the people that are around you. When we become too comfortable, it's easy to get to the place where it's all about how large that it is. It's all about coming in so that we can get out. It's all about saying a quick prayer with the family at night. It's all about so many little things. Because it just becomes familiar to us. This morning I could go on. I could share stories. Of how all of these thoughts just transpired. Through this whole week. While I was gone. But at the end of the day, here's what it comes down to. How comfortable am I? How passionate am I? Have I lost it? So I'll ask you that question this morning. If I asked you that question, what must I do to have a maintained passion? Are you constrained by the love of God and you're brought into action? Or is it every little thing about you that is just so comfortable? Do you have a burden for those around you? This morning, I said I was just going to kind of share a lot from my heart. And as a church, as a pastor, I would ask our church... Do you have a maintained passion? Or are things a little bit too familiar for you? Thank you for worshiping with us here at Oasis Online. If this message was an encouragement to you, would you send me an email and let me know at pastor at obclv.org. Before you go, go check us out at oasisbaptistchurch.org. And if we can be of any help to you or an encouragement to you, please let us know. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.